other work needs to be done except what you've done on the cross. The only thing is for us to receive your sacrifice. Realize that you came and you died and you were buried and you are risen according to the scriptures. So easy. Lord, today we're here to bless your name, to thank you for what you have done for redemption of our souls, for shedding your blood that we might be forgiven. Lord, we could go on and on about how great thou art. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you that just tuned in, where you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. I want to wish everybody here and those over the internet a happy new year. This is the first Sunday of the new year. So, you know, I'm going to pray that every day is happy. Every day is new. Every day you never forget Jesus. And Jim mentioned it about, you know, about, um, you know, how often should we take and how often should we remember and, you know, Jesus did it at a meal time, so that when you know you eat three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that means like three times a day, plus if you add your snack times, you know, you better be praising him all the time, all the time, in remembrance of what he did. Every time you take a bite out of that, that piece of bread or that steak or whatever it is, you've got to remember his broken body was for your healing. And you know, every time you drink from the cup, the wine, the grape juice, the coffee, whatever it be, the tea, you remember that his blood was shed for you, and he has redeemed us. So praise God. I don't think Jesus did that, you know, out of the spur of the moment. He did it purposely because he knows we like to eat, you know, so we can think of him constantly. So praise the Lord. So um, we're glad you're here. Um, I We're in Galatians chapter 5 today. I'm going to read some... Uh, messages to you and uh, some scripture verses uh, but this message is entitled Paul's declaration of emancipation from legalism his declaration of emancipation from legalism and it's all through the book of Galatians and I want to read you some some passages as we go go on so turn to um, turn to uh, Galatians chapter chapter 5. Actually, I'm going to go to the second chapter in the fourth verse first. I'm going to show you what I believe is almost the, the theme or the topic of this book, of this book. Chapter 2 of Galatians, chapter verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who have sneaked in and spy out liberty or freedom which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us to bondage. Already the Galatian church is being brought back into bondage of legalism when they have been, they have been, been set free from it. And if you go to the third chapter in the first five verses, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Or the legalism, really, and going on. Did you suffer, did you suffer, 
suffer so many things in vain. If indeed it was in vain, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Paul was rebuking the Galatian churches. And those are there's many churches in, uh, in the Galatian area. You got, you got um, he's talking about churches like Lystra, Derby, Iconium. That's all in the Galatian area. He's telling them, how, how did you depart from the freedom that Christ gave you? And now you're going to go back into legalism. We're going to talk about circumcision as we go on. You go to the third chapter and the 25th and 26th verse. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, a tutor of the law of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs of the promise. Listen, you know what Paul's doing here? He is so, let me, let me use the word, ticked off. He is ticked off that they have begun in the spirit and now they've gone back to the flesh. Because these false prophets had entered into the church and they were twisting things all around to get what they wanted. Well, Christ set us free. Go to the, uh, the uh, fourth chapter, and we'll go to the 26th and the 31st verse. 26th. Let's go to the 21st, fifth verse. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is, uh, he, she is our mother. Jerusalem has been set free. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt of a donkey, never been ridden on before, to proclaim peace. You are in freedom. He has set you free. Go to 5, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 31. I'm sorry. Chapter 4 and verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, which was Hagar, but children of the free woman, which is Sarah. Galatians 5, or Galatians 5.17, which is our chapter of study, and I don't think we're going to get to this verse, but this is the theme of, of, um, of Galatians. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you please. I'm sorry, I should read the 13th verse first. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Not only, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for flesh. That's what they were doing. They were set free by Jesus Christ. Everything is finished. It's done. It's already done. They are, they, they are going back to the flesh. These false prophets are coming in and they're preaching another gospel a gospel of works you need to be circumcised you need to hold the sabbath you need to sacrifice lambs no no the lamb of god 
was shed his blood for you. There's no longer a time of sacrifice. Even if you go to the book of Acts in chapter 5 where you see that, that Peter and John go to the temple beautiful, at the gate beautiful, and the lame man's there, it says in the Bible very clearly there was a time of worship. They didn't go for the blood sacrifice. They went for worship because the blood sacrifice was already done. It's already done on the cross. For you were called to freedom. This is the chapter that this church is named after, Freedom Church. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. They're, they're going back to the flesh. You've got to be circumcised. They stay on to their, they have to hang on to their legalism. And when, if you read Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, For the law, the Mosaic law, had it, was a shadow of good things to come. Not the very image of the things can never be with the same sacrifice year by year. They were doing it year by year, day by day. The sacrifice was done. It is complete. There is no more blood that the Lamb of God has to shed. His blood was shed once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. That's what he did for us. It's amazing. But the Galatian church is already in trouble. They have already are in trouble. If you'll find out, these churches in Galatia, I just read it to you, you know, that, that these were churches like Lystra, Derby. You know Paul was stoned at Lystra and took up as dead in Derby and Iconium. These are all the Galatian churches, and these letter passed through all these churches. Hey, listen, if you go to Acts chapter 14, you will see his Paul's first visit to, to uh, Galatia. Here's what they did. In Acts chapter 14, his first visit there, they attempted to worship him in the morning. They attempted to worship him in the morning. In the afternoon, they attempted to murder him. See how confused they are? Paul's trying to straighten this out. I was trying to say, you know, I declared to you freedom from the law, and you, you've already backed up. Are you so foolish? Some of the other translations really tackle that verse and say some harsh words to the Galatian church. God, Paul's proclamation here is freedom. You've been emancipated from legalism. You don't have to, I don't know, put your prayer shawl on. You can just go to prayer. You don't have to attend church on Sunday. You can just worship the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, don't do that because there's other scriptures that come against that part where, you know, you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. You are to encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. That's the day of Christ, and all the more. So you can't just stay at home and listen. You don't get exhorted. You don't get encouraged. You don't have your brother run up to you and shake your hand or give you a hug or a holy kiss. You don't get that over the TV. You have to stay in the church. But you don't have to be legalistic about it. Paul is, here's what Paul's doing. First verse. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Did you see what they're doing? They're backing up, back to the, the yoke of slavery. They're going, right, they're going backwards. 
Paul's a little bit ticked off about this. And you know what he's doing with the book of Galatia? He's putting on his war paint, and he's saying, get right, straighten up. You know what the gospel said. You don't have to do these things. Let's read those first five verses. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject to the yoke of slavery. Another, stand firm in your freedom that Christ has set you free. And you know the verse, he who the Son says free is free indeed, John chapter 8. Okay? Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Just because you, you know, you've got to remember, the Jews were circumcised. That's cutting away from the flesh. Cutting away from the flesh physically is different than cutting away the flesh from your heart. God has cut away the flesh from the hearts of the, 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 uh, the Gentiles. He's cut away the flesh from their heart. He's saying, you know, this, this is just a shadow. The cutting away of the flesh, the human flesh and the Jews was just a shadow of things to come. I'm going to cut away the flesh from your heart and give you a spiritual heart. So he's putting on his poor war paint. What are you guys doing? He's attacking the, the legalism that is a, has been attacking the church. He's coming against it big time. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit. It doesn't benefit you. You can go get circumcised if you're, if you're a Gentile in Galatia, but it isn't going to do any better. Christ already set you free. I like that song Lewis played. It is done. It's done. The Lord did it all. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do nothing. It's done. Actually, to tell, tell the Lord, well, I got to do something, you're actually, I, could, I, I hate to use a strong term like this, you're actually spitting in the face of the Lord because he already did it. It's done. It's done. You're saying to him, I need to do something, and that's pride. You don't have to do nothing. Jesus already did it. It's done. Verse 3 of Galatians 5. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So now, listen, if you go get circumcised, not only are you, you, you putting yourself in the bondage of the law, now the 613 laws in the Bible, you have to fulfill them all. I think it's James 2.11 that says, if you fall in one sense of the law, you're guilty of all. So if they go get circumcised, then they've got to hold all 613 of the, of the Mosaic laws, and they can't do it because you can't even go through the 10 that were given at Mount Sinai and pass all the tests. I can guarantee you, I don't care if anybody in here says I've kept them all, I'm going to call you a liar because you can't keep them all. Even that thought that runs through your head about that pretty woman in Publix, you just sinned. Verse 4, Christ, you have been severed from Christ. Listen, he's saying to go back into legalism, you are cutting yourself off from Christ. That's some strong words. That's some strong words. In other words, were you, are you really saved? Do you think you have to light a candle to be saved? You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, listen to this, you have fallen from grace. Well, Paul's got his war paint on here. He is mad. He's trying to straighten this church, these churches up. And it's not just one church. It's the whole, all the churches in, 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 uh, 
and Galatia. All the churches in Galatia. These people were, were obviously, um, what can I say, confused about many things. Because, you know, when Paul was doing miracles, they, they brought oxen to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, okay? And then the, by the afternoon, they're, they're trying to kill him. They're trying to kill him. So they, they were like topsy-turvy. They had no solid foundation. And Paul's out there saying, I'm going to give you some more solid foundation. You cling to what you already know. Have you been so foolish that begun in the spirit you have now, uh, or now you're being perfected by your flesh? You have fallen from grace. That's not something good if you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, verse 5, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. By faith. It's faith. It's faith. That's what it is. So Paul's got his war paint on. He's going to let them have it. He called them foolish in chapter 3. He's laying out his deep emotions, how he has been hurt by this. As a Pharisee in, the Jew, in Judaism, Paul has seen and he has experienced what legalism has done to the Jew, Jewish faith, to Judaism. He has saw it. He's experienced it. He's watched them. He was part of it. He was more of a, 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 a Jew than the Jews were. And he tells you that. He was trained in all sense of law. He kept it all up. He did it. Because here's what he found out. I think some of the things he found out. He found out that legalism has no compassion. Legalism has no compassion. Let me show you some things. In Luke chapter 13, I'm going to turn there, Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read it from verse 10 on. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to verse, well, I'll, I'll tell you when we start. First, this is the woman who was healed on the Sabbath. And he, that's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. The woman, woman, you are freed from your sickness, is what he said. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect and began glorifying God. But the sin, here's, here's the lack of compassion. But the synagogue official, indignant, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which you work should be done, so you, do you come to them during that time to be healed and not during the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered and said to him, you hypocrite, come on. I don't care what day of the week is. If the Lord tells me to lay my hands on you and you're healed, I'm going to do it. I don't care what day of the week is. I don't care what the pastor of my church said. I'm going to do what the Spirit says, and you're going to lay your hands on them, and, and that person's going to be healed. He, this, this synagogue official, no compassion. He's saying, oh, let her suffer another day. What if the time isn't right on, on the next day? 
What if Jesus had to, was somewhere else that day? Just wait around? No. If your donkey falls into a ditch, don't you go and get him out? Or do you leave him there overnight till the next day at sundown? Then you go get him. Meanwhile, the donkey's probably dead because he didn't get any water. No lack of compassion. Legalism has no compassion. And I could back that up with the Matthew chapter 8. There was a leper that came down. When Jesus came down from the mountain, there was a leper. He said to Jesus, he ran up to Jesus. He said, you can make me clean. And Jesus' answer was, if you're, he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said this, I am willing. That's what I said just earlier. I think it was in a prayer or while I was talking. We don't doubt God's ability. We know that he can make a tree grow right here in the middle of this church on top of the carpet. I don't think he would. But we know that he can do what we, we doubt is, will he heal me? Will he heal me? Well, it says in the scriptures that Jesus healed all that came to him. All that came to him. Why don't we believe that? Why do we believe, say, a doctor over the Word of God? I think that, you know, some people out there, even churches are saying, that pastor's nuts right now. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm not nuts. The problem is us, we lack the faith to believe the Word of God before someone else. I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of that. I'm saying I want that kind of faith. Help my unbelief was what the one fellow said. Lord, I... Help my belief, but help my unbelief. There's a part of us that just don't want to believe. The Lord has compassion. Isaiah 54, and I read it quite often. Isaiah 54. I'm just going to read two verses, 7 and 8. For a brief moment, God's talking to Israel, right? I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Go to the eighth verse. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He has compassion on us. These people stuck in legalism have absolutely no compassion. And you know what else legalism does? It fleeces the flock of God. Second Peter 2, verse 3, through covetousness, they will use for gain with well-tuned words. We touched on that last week. They're out to fleece the flock of your money. They're coveting. They were looking for personal gain. They have selfish ambition, as Philippians 1 would talk about. They use legalism to get your money. Oh, you send me $100, God will send you 100 back or 1000 back. Nonsense. Nonsense. You give out of a cheerful heart. God loves the cheerful giver. You aren't going to be forced by a legalist to tell you that so that you can, you can give everything you have away and then, you know, you weren't you were foolish enough to believe it. Now, Malachi 3 tells you that you should tithe. You should test God in this. You've got to be careful. They fleece the flock for money. You know that Nicodemus, if you read Josephus, 
tells us that Nicodemus, who was the teacher in Israel, was the fourth richest man in Israel. How do you get all that? Why do you think the Jews were upset when Jesus threw them all out of the temple courtyard? All three years, I'm convinced that he went in there, kicked them off, because he was hitting them in the pocketbook. They were ripping people off left and right. You'd bring a lamb in to sacrifice, and they'd find a gray hair, and they'd pull it out. And they'd have to sell you another lamb. But they pulled it out after you gone and bought their other lamb at exorbitant prices. And then they would take that lamb that was a defect, pull the gray hair, and sell it to somebody else. And they would use false weights. If you were a Gentile, forget it. You know, a pound was really maybe three quarters of a pound. They were ripping people off. It was horrid. And Jesus come right and said, "You, this is my father's house, the house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves." And Philippians one, chapter twelve. I think we'll turn there and we'll read it. Philippians one twelve through eighteen. Now. I want you to know, brethren, this is Paul talking again, that my circumstances, he's in prison. Philippians is a prison epistle. Okay? Now I want you to know, know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian God guard and to everyone else. And... Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some are also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from, your motiva- from pure motivation in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. You know what Paul's saying? You might be doing it for selfish ambition, but if you're preaching Christ, I'm going to let you go. Keep preaching Christ. You know what? The Lord will, will, will reward you or take your words away, or awards away when you get to the kingdom. He's telling us in this passage, you know, that his imprisonment furthered the gospel. Why did it do that? Because other saints, you know, they saw their leader being persecuted. And every one of you know, when persecution hits a country, the church flourishes. We know that from Korea. We know it from a bunch of different countries in the world. He's saying they, they got bold. So I'm glad I'm in prison. And not only that. Because if he's in prison, he's preaching to the praetorium guard. He's preaching. And many of those people got saved in the, in, the guard, in, in the leadership of Rome. And not only that, but, but listen, he, you know, he, uh, he was sitting and chained. He was in the lower dungeon in Rome, chained to soldier. And you know what? The Holy Spirit gave him the illumination to about the weapons of our warfare, the helmet of salvation, the armor of God. You go, he's sitting there, and I'm sure, I'm sure he's chained to these guards. Oh, what's that breastplate for? Well, it's to protect you. Well, the breastplate of righteousness will protect you, the Christian soldier, the helmet of salvation. If you go to, I think it's Isaiah 59, I looked at it yesterday. Even the Lord, it says there, when he goes to paddle, he puts on his helmet 
and his breastplate of righteousness. So if the Lord goes to battle with the helmet on and the breastplate on, you better be dressed in the full armor of God. And he got that from an insight of being in prison. I'm sure of it. doesn't say that in the scripture, but that's Joology. You know, it, it probably was being chained to him. And God reveals things to you. It's a revelation from the Holy Spirit. They were probably saved, these, some of these soldiers, because of this epistle being written and because of Paul's testimony. So not only are the, are the believers out there being bold to preach the gospel, Paul is in the, in the prison, in the praetorian guard, and, and the word of God is getting into Rome at this point. Okay, Christians who preach the gospel now, they're bolder, they're confident in their words. Legalists were glad Paul was in prison. So they continued to preach this false gospel. The false gospel of, you know, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Jewish tradition. If you need to do that, then you're still a Jew. Because a Jew that has been, uh, a Jew or a Gentile that has been saved and set free, you no longer have to do that. You have not fallen from grace. These people have fallen from grace, which is a terrible place to be. You don't need legalism. You need Jesus, him and only him. He's the only way to heaven. He even said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. He said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that, that um, by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. He said to Titus 3, 5, he said, He saved us. Jesus saved us, not on the basis of the deeds you did in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Spirit. You know what that is? Being born again. Re re you know, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. You know, Nicodemus might have been the fourth richest man in Israel, but he changed when he got saved. I don't know if he got saved that night with Jesus or he got saved whenever, whenever the Sanhedrin pronounced death sentence to Jesus. I don't know. I know one thing. I bet he was like Zacchaeus and gave it all away and followed Jesus. Because him and Joseph of Arimathea were probably no longer in the Sanhedrin at that point. They were kicked out, I'm sure. You know, legalists were glad Paul was in prison. They continued to infiltrate and destroy the church and bring people back into the yoke of slavery. You've been set free. The slavery, you're cha chained to the Mosaic law. 613 of them you've got to keep. You can't do it. It's impossible. That's why the Ten Commandments were written, so that you would know it's impossible to be saved by your own self. It's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments. I love Billy Graham, but I'll bet you he would admit he broke at least one of the Ten Commandments. And what if he did that? What did he do before he was saved? Huh? How wild was he? I don't know. You got Franklin Graham out there. I know that he was wild before he got saved. Okay? But how about those sins? They count towards your, you know, how holy you are or how unholy you are. Legists are glad Paul's in prison because it gave them an open license to, to fleece the flock, to, to, to lack compassion. All they wanted was money. They didn't care if those people got tied up into the yoke of slavery anymore. Paul is mad. The war paints on. 
Some preach uh, out of love. Some preach out of pretense, Paul says. You know, but what do I care? I rejoice because Christ is preached. You know what? I, I like, there's preachers that I like that you don't like. But the theology, the foundation is right. It's Christ crucified for your salvation. It doesn't matter. Listen, even Freedom Church is off on a lot of areas. And all the bigger churches around here, they're off on a lot of areas. Nobody's perfect. Only God's perfect. No church is perfect. So you know what? They're your brother. If they proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and they believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, then they are my brother. And you can't go slicing them down because if you do, you're a brother hater. And Jesus says, if you hate your brother who you have seen, how can you love me who you have not seen? Common sense. We've got to be careful. These legalists were all about the wrong thing. But Paul says, as long as they're preaching Christ, I don't care. The preachers that I like that you don't like, they're preaching Christ or I wouldn't be with them. I can guarantee you that. And the bottom line is their theology is straight. They might believe by faith in healing more than you. You know, they might believe that, uh, that the, the, the taking of communion is, is a transubstantiation or it's really the blood of Christ. They might, but somebody's wrong. And it has nothing to do with your salvation in Christ Jesus. You are set free by Jesus Christ. It was for freedom that you've been set free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to your flesh to gain money, to get fame or fortune. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Legalists, number three, legalists lay heavy burdens on people that they themselves will not take. And they make, Jesus said, he, they make them twice the sons of hell that they are. He's already convinced telling them that you're sons of hell. And he's saying when you do this to the people, the Gentiles that might get saved, or even a Jew that comes back to Judaism, and you do that to him, you're making him just like you, only worse. Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, who tie heavy burdens and lay on men's shoulders what you yourselves will not be willing to carry with so much of a finger. They're saying you can't be a Christian unless you submit to the Mosaic Law. That would make them Jew, Judea, Judea. They would make them Jews again. So they, what did they do? They stole away Christianity from them. They stole it away. See, a lot of people can't break away from the law. They just can't do it. Yet Paul says this in Galatians 21. You know, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The 21st verse, Paul says, I do not nullify the law of grace. For if your righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He died for nothing. We're talking about God, the supreme being that created the heavens and the earth and all the planets out there and the stars 
They ask scientists estimate the stars 10 to the 21st power, which you can't even tell me what number that is. You can look at the, the belt of Orion in the starry sky and, the, and, and um, what is it? I forget the name of it. The middle star, I believe it is, is Betelgeuse. And it is, it is said to be 450 billion miles in diameter. Our sun is only 840-some thousand miles in diameter. Betelgeuse, which is a star, is over 450 billion miles across. That means that you could take our sun, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, hollow out the, the, the Betelgeuse, and you would still have like a billion miles on this side, a billion miles of that way, and, and our sun and Mercury, Venus, and Earth could rotate within the center of that without touching. And you're going to tell me God can't heal you? He's saying, I don't nullify the law of grace. You think God would be stupid enough to send his son if you could get saved by your own works? Man, Scripture comes against that totally. But yet people preach it in churches and it's totally wrong. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of yourselves. It's done. Jesus did it for you. Freedom is founded in Christ alone, in other words. Jesus said it, and I mentioned it earlier, John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, what? You're free indeed. It's kind of like Resurrection Sunday. He is ris risen indeed. Man, see. God will then be merciful to us forever. As I read you Isaiah 54. 7 and 8. You know, for a time he was upset. But now he took us back with great compassion. He sent his son, showing the world that I loved you so much I sent my son. Even while you were dead in my in sins, you were my enemy, I sent my son to die for you. That's how much I love you. A lot of people think they have to do something to, to be saved. But Hebrews 10.1, as I read before, for the law is just a shadow of the good things to come. And if you say you can get saved any other way, you're just insulting the, the Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ. See, God isn't mad at you anymore. Zeus is mad at you. He'll throw a lightning bolt at you, but God isn't going to do that. You say, well, why the hurricanes? Why the, why the tornadoes? Why the tsunamis? I'll tell you why. Because we fell. We fell. And the world changed because we fell. Animals never died. Adam and Eve would have never had to die. But we fell. And therefore, the earth, you know, you, you went through Genesis with me the first couple chapters. You know, the, the earth was surrounded by a water vapor barrier because God separated the waters from the waters and dry earth appeared. So we had a water vapor barrier around the earth. When the sun heated that water vapor barrier, you know, it heated the whole earth and the whole earth was tropical. And when Noah was told to build an ark, people thought he was crazy because it never rained. It was all tropical. The earth was fed from the springs below, but there was a water vapor barrier around the whole, whole earth. And all God did was he opened up the windows of heaven 
and the fountains of the earth, and he flooded from from bottom up and from top down, and before you know it, the earth was covered with water for 40 days and 40 nights to like 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain. And then, of course, the earth had to have been hit with some kind of meteors or and knocking it on its 23 and a half degree axis, and most scientists will tell you if it was 23 and a quarter or 23 and three quarters, there wouldn't be any life on this earth. It had to be 23 and a half degrees. But then all the waters receded because of the accident, and all the waters receded to the North and the South Pole and froze there because now long the water vapor barrier isn't heating the whole Earth. And now the delicate, the, the radiation from the sun begins to lower the age of man. And before you know it, he doesn't live in, he wasn't living 900, 600, 400, 500, 300 years. He was down to like... Like Moses, I think he lived to be 110. No, that was Joshua, 110. I think Moses was like 140 or 130, something like that. See, the age started going down, knocking it on that axis. And I mentioned in the Genesis study that they found mammoths in the South Pole that were frozen so fast that when they, when they dug them up, they found out that the grass in their stomach was not even digested. That's how fast it happened. So you wonder where the dinosaurs went? They went the way of Cain. They went out from the presence of the Lord. They, they, were, they couldn't handle it. God isn't mad at you anymore. John 12. I'm going to read it for you. John 12. Verse 31, 32. This is important. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world is judged or cast out. That's the devil. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment to myself. It's not men, as I say many times. The context here is judgment. So Jesus is going to draw all judgment to himself. That's all yours, mine, past, present, future has been put upon Jesus. And all you have to do is believe. Simple as that. Why does religion, legalism make it so hard? I know about you, when I found out Jesus set me free and I knew he was the only way to heaven, it was like the Holy Spirit hit me with, a, with, with power. I'm there like, he's the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. No doubt about it. God's not mad. Zeus is mad. He'll throw that sun thunderbolt at you. I'm convinced of it. But Paul's telling you, you've been set free. You know, I get, Jesus gave you emancipation from the proclamation of death. You're free. The proclamation is freedom in Christ, and that's it. This freedom is far better than any freedom that you've ever seen. You think you're free because you live in America? The freedom you have in Christ is there's nothing that can compare to that. Yet, legalists try to put you into bondage all the time. All the time. I have a quote that I wanted to read. I've got to find it. Oh, well, I'll be coming up on it. It says something like this. When you're saved out of legalism, it's still in the caboose. 
And it can be resurrected at any time. You've got to stay away from it. Legalism. You might have been legalist at one time, but you've got to stay away from it. You need to put it back in the baggage car. Put it back in the baggage car. But what is your freedom? Your freedom isn't from material bonds. It isn't from Babylonian captivity. It isn't from tyranny. But your freedom is from God's wrath. Wow, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, says Hebrews. It's you have been set free from the wrath of God, which is going to come on the second advent when Jesus comes back. He's coming back with the white stallion. He's going to be riding in war, not on a donkey in peace into Jerusalem, but he's going to be riding into Jerusalem in the clouds on a white stallion with a sword in his mouth that slays everybody that doesn't believe. And that ain't a fairy tale. That's the truth. Verse 2. Gee, I better go back to it. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be no longer benefit to you. Legalism, therefore, is an attack, is an attack on the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Legalism is an attack on the very heart of the gospel of Christ. Sinners are saved by grace. Sinners are now Grace is now your way to life, and grace is now your way of life. You live by grace. You live by grace, by faith and grace, you know, righteousness through Christ alone, not the law. Jesus came. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So the fact is that Jesus set us free, freedom from the law. So there's no bondage. And you know Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. Jesus' will for us is to be never to be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Never to be, be subject again to the yoke of bondage. He says this in verse 2, Behold, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. There's no profit to circumcision. You can get circumcised. Paul did circumcise, I think, Timothy in the Bible, only so that he could go into the Jews and preach to them. In verse 3, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is now under obligation to keep the whole law of Moses. So circumcision is no longer required. Obedience, well, to, be, to follow the law, the Mosaic law, is no longer required. Now there are Mosaic laws that tie in with your, you know, to be righteous. So you got to believe that. Here's what Martin Luther said. Those who seek to be justified by the law are much further away from righteousness of life than the publicans and sinners. Hey, that's Martin Luther. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of respect them, you know. Those who seek to be justified by the law are much further away from the righteousness of life than the publicans and sinners. 
Circumcision then is no longer required, but there is a circumcision of the heart that is required to cut that flesh out of your heart so that you can be a spiritual person because that's what happened when you got saved. God cut away the flesh from your heart, not from your physical body. He cut it away from your heart. So now you believe. Now you're open to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pharisees say, um, Acts 15, 5 and 6, the Pharisees say, but what does God say about this? They're going to the church. They're saying, what does, what does the church's leadership say about this? So if you go to Acts chapter 15, and I'll go there, and I'm going to read Acts chapter 15. This comes from the, the council in Jerusalem, okay? Acts chapter 15, and I'll go to verse 7 through 11. After there had been much debate about, about this issue, legalism, how far do we go? Do you need circumcised? Do you need to follow the Mosaic law? Here's what they came up with. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel and believe. And, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? You're putting God to the test if you're into legalism. Listen, why do you put God to the test to put on these disciples the yoke of bondage, which neither our fathers nor we could have been able to bear? But if we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. So the debate is, do we bring them into Judaism? The answer is no. The answer is no. Paul, or Peter, gave his whole example, you know, about being up on the roof. And Cornelius, this is John, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman soldier, you know, he's up on the roof, and the, he's praying, and the sheets come down with all kind of clean and unclean animals, and God says to him three times, take and eat. And Peter says, hey, I've never touched anything unclean. He said, don't call what I call clean unclean anymore. The Gentiles are clean. So he ends up, these guys come to the door because Cornelius saw an angel, and the angel told him, send for Peter. He's at this place. They went and got him. Peter comes into the house. He preaches the gospel, and the, pen, the Jew, and here's the, the Gentile Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. They begin speaking with other tongues. God made no distinction. Praise they praise God. Even in Isaiah chapter 9, people walking in darkness will see a great light when Jesus the Messiah was sent to earth as a baby. People walking in darkness, that's the Gentiles, they will see the great light of the, of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Awesome. What a great God we have. So Peter, by my mouth, God chose the Gentiles, should hear the gospel in that passage. He's what he's saying. By my mouth, God chose that the Gentiles should hear the gospel and believe. God knows their Gentiles' heart. God gave them the Holy Spirit just as he gave it to us. Number, in verse 9, just as he did with us, God made no distinction between us and them. 
Verse 9 again, God purified or cleansed the Gentiles' hearts also by what? Faith. He cleansed them by faith, not by works. Verse 10, why do you test God, Peter is telling the council? By putting God to test or putting a yoke around these Gentiles that, that we can't even bear. No, just believe. Jesus said it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Peter said that. I'm sorry. That's Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's that simple. You don't have to put your prayer on and go to prayer in a closet. You should. <laughs> you don't have to, to light a candle. You don't have to uh, fast every day. You should or at least every week. He says, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Peter in verse 11, we shall be saved. Actually, it says, we were saved, which is already done. The same manner as they, which is by grace through faith not of yourselves. So verse 14, we hear what Paul declares. I'll read, or Peter declares, how God first visited the Gentiles to take them, take out of them a people for his name. That's New Testament. That's Acts chapter um, 15. But listen, here's Amos chapter 9. Verse 11 and 12. So that the rest of mankind might seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name. You know what? At Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, they were first called Christians at Antioch. And that's why people love Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people... Jew and Gentile, who are called by my name, by the name of Christ. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Humble yourself and believe that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You know how I ended up getting saved? I started seeking God. I started asking him questions. I told you about the Vietnam experience. I think it was in Cameron Bay or something, overlooking the, the, the South China Sea and an ammo dump sitting on a big rock, and I was just in country. And I'm going to tell you what, I shed some tears when I realized what I was and what I could get into. I looked out over the ocean, and those stars were shining. I've never seen them shine like that before, and I cried out to God. I didn't say, you know, uh, I'll serve you if you get me out of here. I just said, if you're there, get me out of here alive. And he, I, six and a half years later, I realized I was alive and started seeking God again. And he showed up and revealed himself to me. So, look, at back in the Old Testament, God wants the Gentiles to be saved. In Isaiah 9, I told you, people walking in darkness will see a great light when Messiah is born. So, so you see that, you know, God intends salvation for everybody. God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That means all peoples. That means red, yellow, black, white, purple, green, whatever color you are, whatever authenticity you are, God loves you. He wants you to be saved, and you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. All you have to do is receive him as your Savior. You can do that right now. I thought I was going to get to about the fourth verse. I think we only got the two, maybe three. But um, I want you to know, if any of you are out there, if any of you are in the church and need to recommit your life to the Lord and say, I don't want this bondage anymore. I don't want the yoke of slavery. By grace in Christ, I am saved. I am not going to be a legalist anymore. I'm just going to believe that by grace I'm saved through faith, not of my own works. And as I said last week, and I've said many times, if you are saved by grace, you will do more good works by accident than you will by trying in your flesh. And you'll do it for the right reason. And you know what that is? Your heart. So for all of you out there, I'm going to end it here, and uh, I'm going to pray. Any of you out there, I want you to follow after me and uh, name Jesus as Lord of your life. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I just found out there's only one way to be saved. By faith in Jesus Christ, his, his coming to earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection on the third day. I believe that you sent him. I believe that you love me. I believe that Jesus demonstrated your love that while I was yet a sinner, an enemy of you, you sent Jesus anyhow. I believe in my heart. Forgive my sins. Let my heart from this moment on chase after you. And may I be a servant, a child, a follower of our Savior, of my Savior, my new Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And give me the Holy Spirit to help me serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all. We're probably going to continue next week in Galatians chapter 5. Okay? God bless. One more thing before you leave we off.